This is Nova Church Halifax, where we love God and love people. Tune in as Pastor Mike Miller teaches from God's Word and how we can have a Nova life, a new life. I want to let you know today, if this is your first time or your fifth time, that we are a bunch of people, some, I was going to say normal people, I don't know if we're normal. Look at the person next to you, I don't know if they're normal. But we are passionate about this about building a life. Listen, I've learned this at 42 years of age. You can build your life on a lot of things. People can build it on finances. People can build it on talents. Some of us, not me, can build it on looks. You can build it on popularity. You can build it on a lot of things. And I don't think those things are necessarily bad. They make great end tables and furniture in your house of your life, but they can't be the foundation. The foundation of our life, we are passionate about that we can build our life on His love. Because he loved us before he knew us. He loved us before we believed in him or behaved like he wanted us to. And we belonged to him before we ever believed or behaved. I want to let you know today, if you're passionate about your faith, or maybe you're like, I don't even have a faith, I want to let you know that we are passionate about building a life that honors God. And wherever you are in your journey today, you belong here. We are glad you are here. Like, I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm into this. We're glad you're here today. If you're like, hey, I've lived my life faithful for generate, gen, uh, decade after decade, you belong here today. Can we pray today as we just launch to the next part of the service? Father, I thank you for every face in this place. God, so many stories, so many great wins and even some losses, great accomplishments, and some maybe feel like they're struggling. But today, Father, we're reminded that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Father, finances will be shaken. Popularity, relationships can can be shaken. We we know a things can be shaken, but today we know that you're a God that cannot be shaken. That God, we build our lives on your plan, your love, and your goodness. Father, thank you for these people. In Jesus' name, everybody said, one more time, can you just high five, shake someone's hand, hug somebody as you grab a seat. We're a friendly church, and we're so glad. Welcome to Nova. Oh, we're so glad. How many are glad to be in church today? Sunday fun day. We love Sundays in this place. How many got a coffee today before you walked in? You can't have coffee in here. It's the rule of the theater, though. I love coffee, but kindly encourage you. Come early. A chance to meet with people. Church is not a service. It's a community, and we got great coffee. Come on, somebody. Life is too short. Come on, somebody, for decaf coffee <clears throat> and wearing Crocs. Okay, you know what I'm saying, but but uh, listen, that coffee is free. That's, you, we pay for that with your money. When you give and invest, that's free. You already bought that when you partner with Nova. So come and enjoy the coffee. We don't charge for that. We just want you to enjoy it. Come for the coffee and stay for the community. Amen? Amen. I just want to say welcome to Nova. This is our fifth week. Can you believe that? Fifth week at Nova. It still feels like a newborn baby. You know how they use weeks for everything? How old's your kid? Six weeks. Eight weeks. We're in our fifth week. I don't know when that's going to change for us. Some people are like, how old's your kid? He's 48 months. No, your kid is two, okay? You know what I'm saying? He's 93 months. No, he's 17, okay? Move, he needs to get his license now. So I don't know how much longer we're going to be saying weeks, but we're in our fifth week. I just said to Nancy, I said, it feels like church today. It feels like church. How many have been here? I'm just curious. I've been here all five weeks. You're my favorites, okay? You're, there's a better place in heaven for you. I can't prove that, but just know that you're my favorite. I don't know about God, but you're my favorite. Um, as Nicole mentioned, uh, Next Steps happens today. It's our third week. If you didn't jump in on any of the steps, you can jump in at any time. And we just give, if you give us four weeks, just for 30 minutes every week, it's a short class. We'll have coffee in there. We'll have fun. And it's a chance for you to grow in your faith. Some of you are new in your faith. Maybe you've been around church, but you haven't feel like you actually know that you're growing. It's a chance to help you grow. 
But also, if you want to make this your home church, and there's a lot of great churches in this city, but if you want to connect to this church, it helps you connect. And so many times, you walk into places, and I've felt this even in churches, you're like, I feel like I can't connect. We want to make it as easy as possible for people to say, hey, I want to connect. I want to be involved. And you can walk through that for four weeks, and then we can help get you plugged in. And really, it does help us, because it helps us with uh, helping with kids' ministry, and even on the worship team, and and our greeting, but really, we honestly believe that life and faith is meant to be enjoyed by being active, and we believe it's much more enjoyable when you're a contributor more than just a consumer, and we're believing for thousands and thousands of people to come in and consume and just enjoy God's presence in this community, but there's another level of activity when you just go to and say, hey, I want to commit, and I want to actually contribute. The enjoyment level goes up, and I promise you, It'll be much more fun. The, co- the coffee's flowing early, and the laughs are happening, and you don't even know what happens here before the doors open. We're just laughing. We're, we're having a great time, but we would encourage you. Next Steps happens today. You'll see it right after the service. You can jump in there. Just look for the big wall that says, what's next, and we'll look after you. And I also want to say welcome home. He's, uh, he went backstage, but Christian, our lead singer this morning, he's our director of worship. He was away for the last three weeks. He's a part of a touring worship team, travels all over North America, and he was gone for three weeks. He helped us launch on launch day and then took off. So he hasn't even been here five weeks. So I was like, who are you again? All right. And I love Christian and Nicole and Nicole, his wife, who was hosting today because I, I love him for a lot of reasons. But last January, in January, I was in Edmonton preaching. It's very tropical in January in Edmonton, by the way. Some of you are going to Florida soon. I know. Listen, Edmonton's very tropical this, that time of year. And, and uh, the palm trees are flowing. And uh, I was in, Jan- in, in Edmonton. And they said to me, they said, hey, we want to meet. We heard the vision about Nova months ago, months ago, months ago at another conference. We need to meet. And at the airport in January in Edmonton, we had lunch. And they kept saying, we just can't shake. We keep talking about Nova every single day. We want to move across the country and help you launch the church. I'm like, I got no money. They're like, we want to come. I'm like, I got no positions. I got nothing for you. We don't even have a church at this point. Don't even have much of a team. They're like, we're coming. And they sold everything, moved, and came across the country. And they have made this their life. And uh, come on, can we a round of applause? Can we just honor them today? True story, we had someone say, did I see that your worship director has a man bun? I'm like, I don't know. You never know how that question's going to go after that. You're like, yeah. He goes, that's why we're coming. I'm like, you're coming because of a man bun. I'm like, okay, that's good to hear. That's good to hear. (laughs) Again, if you're looking for a church with great comedy and great, uh, um, this is not, and sense of humor, this is not the church for you, okay? This is a corny church, okay? I was starting a new series today. We're excited about this. And we believe that church is, we should grow in church. We believe that we're not just here for an event. We're a community that's growing. And as a parent, my kids are growing. We have that thing on the door in our house where we mark how tall they're getting. My son's like, hey, measure me again. My daughter's like, measure me again. I think I'm at the age now where I'm shrinking, I think. That's why I keep putting my hair higher and higher and higher. Because, you know, men, we don't own our hair. We rent it. Come on, you know what I'm saying. So as long as I have it. I want to enjoy it, but I believe as a church we should be growing, growing individually, growing as a community. For the next few weeks, next four weeks, we're going to be doing a series called Legends, Legends. You know, it's interesting, as a youth minister, uh, for years, when I start traveling, I got to an age, when I go to a youth conference, they'd advertise the legend, Mike Miller, and it wasn't because I was that good, it's because I got that old. You ever notice that they only call you a legend in hockey or in sports when you get old, but you're, you're still pretty good and you're still pretty cool? They don't know what to do with you. So I started getting introduced as the legend, which is youth pastor talk for he's really old, but he wears skinny jeans. Come on, somebody. But I believe God has a destiny on us. I believe you're never too old or never too young to start thinking about your legacy. I heard it said this once, that our legacy is not in our lifetime, it's in our lifeline. 
And I've realized this. Some of you might be in your 50s and 60s going, hey, I, I've made some mistakes. I don't know. Listen, your legacy is more not about what you build, but who you raise. I believe as a church, we have a legacy. We have a legacy to build as a marriage, as parents, as singles in this place. You're never too young. You're never too old to start thinking about your legacy. And I believe legends, which means people are going to write stories about us. People are going to talk about us and say, hey, they walked in and helped me in my culture, in my situation, in my world, and in our city. And I believe God wants us to aim to be a legend. And we're going to go through some scripture for the next four weeks. We're going to go through four different characters that were legends in scripture. We're going to unpack their life and pull out some truths from the scripture, the word of God, and see how it applies to your life today and my life today to encourage us to keep going on this journey. Look at your neighbor and say, keep going. Can I tell you, sometimes the bravest thing you can do is just keep going. Just keep going. Just keep going. I believe scripture and these, these characters from the, from the word of God are going to encourage us it says in, in Proverbs 13, 22, it says, a good life gets passed on to the grandchildren. And mom and dad, if you're here, also money gets passed on, okay? And uh, listen, I want to encourage you. What we do today will determine our destiny tomorrow. Our decisions today determine our destiny tomorrow. And we're going to pull some truth out and believe it's going to encourage somebody in this place. Our legacy. We're going to start building legacy in the next four weeks. And we believe it's going to build and we're going to encourage you no matter what stage of life you're in, that you can pull some truth out and go, God's going to encourage you in your workplace, in your family place, and in your personal life. Amen? Our first one today we're going to talk about is a story of Joseph. We're going to call today, if you're taking notes today, if we can go back to the title slide, the dreamer. Do I got any dreamers in this place? Anybody got any nightmares in this place? Dreamers. I had about four hours sleep last night. I had some crazy dreams. I had some burrito dreams. I had burrito jacks last night. But we're going to talk about the dreamer today. If you have the Bible today, can you turn to Genesis chapter 37? If you don't have a Bible today, that's fine. We're going to put the verses behind us on the screen. But there is something about bringing a Bible to church. you don't have a Bible, we can get you one. But there's something about the Bible. This book is the bestseller. But it's the only book you don't read. It actually reads you. We believe there's a truth in the Word of God. And we believe if you put this Word in you when you don't need it, it'll be there when you do need it. I want to encourage you, there's something about the Word of God. It's not easy to read all the time, but it's a love story. It's an adventure. It's a manual on how to live your life. And so many times I go places and people are like, I need a word from God. No, we just need to read what he gave us. And I believe that if we can apply this to our life, it's relevant for the day. As a parent, as a business owner, as a a husband, as a wife, there's there's things in here that can help our lives encourage you. Because if you know what God thinks about you, you can know what his plan is for you. If you know what his plan is for you, come on, you have purpose in your life. Amen? Genesis chapter 37, we're going to study today the story of Joseph. When I think of dreamers, I think of people like Martin Luther King. People say, I have a dream. In Scripture, there's a man named Joseph. We're going to start reading him. He was called the dreamer in Scripture. We're going to pick it up in verse 37, in verse 1. It says, so Jacob, this is his father, settled in the land of Canaan where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flock. He worked for his half-brothers. That's interesting right there. He worked for his half-brothers. The sons of his father's wives, Billa and Zilpha. They sound very attractive. Uh, But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. How many know sometimes younger brothers can be tattletales? Do not put your hand up. Come on, somebody. Who here has a younger brother in this room? Am I the only one? I think my brother's number one saying growing up was, um, I'm telling. It says here that Joseph, it says he started tattling on his brothers. Verse 3. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. 
But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. And they couldn't say a kind word to him. Some of you think you have some drama in your family. There's some drama happening in Jacob's family. Joseph and his half-brothers. One night, Joseph had a dream. And when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. I can just picture him in his bright coat, his favor, just walking in. And his brothers hating him one day in the middle of the fields. And this is what he said. We were all out in the field tying up our bundles of grain. And suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed down low before mine. His brothers responded, so you think that you're going to be king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because his dreams and the way he talked about them. I've learned this in life. When you have a dream, you can't help but talk about it. If you've been around me for the last year, all, everything comes back to Nova. On my Instagram account, on my Twitter account, on my Facebook account, in coffee shop. I just can't. Why? Because it's not an event. It's not a have to. It's a dream. And dreamers talk about their dreams. We jump down to verse 18. Now, the brothers were hating him. They devised a plan to kill him. They thought, we can't handle this no more. We can't handle hearing about his dreams and the pride and the greatness on his life. We pick it up in verse 18. And when Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in a distance and as he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. I love how they don't say his name. They call him by his dream. Dreamers are bigger than your identity. Dreamers are bigger than your past. Dreamers are bigger than you know they are. And people will see you for your dream. And they said, come on, let's kill him. And throw him in one of these cisterns or one of these empty wells or a pit, another version says. We could tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. And then we'll see what becomes of his Dreams, But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him. He said, why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in an empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without us laying a hand on him. And Reuben was secretly planning to come back and rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Verse 23. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off his beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the pit. And now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. Verse 28. He's in the pit, the thing about killing him, leaving him. Then, all of a sudden, these travelers came by, these gypsies came by, in verse 28. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brother pulled him out of the pit and sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Not the first man to be traded for silver. It won't be the last. And the traders took him into slavery and took him to Egypt. Now we're going to jump over in Joseph's story. Again, we're studying this man's life in verse 39. He then gets taken to Egypt as a slave. He went from being a dreamer with favor to a pit. He got drug out of the pit. Now he got sold into slavery. He got bought by a man named Potiphar, who was a ruler in Egypt, a rich man, a businessman. And now Joseph is sold into slavery, verse 39, chapter 39, verse 1. When Joseph was taken to Egypt by the traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did, and he served in the home of the Egyptian master. Verse 6, so Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility. He was CFO. He was the vice president. He was in charge of everything, of everything he owned. And when Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. Joseph was very handsome and a well-built young man. How many are thankful for a Joseph anointing on your life right there? Come on, if you're married here, women, if you're married, look at your husband and say, you're my Joseph. It says he was good-looking and in great shape. Come on, I need some of that in my life. And Potiphar's wife, though, soon began to look at him lustfully. She said, come and sleep with me, she demanded. People say the Bible's boring. There's a lot of stuff going on in here. 
Verse 8, but Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me in everything, his entire household. No one has more authority than I do. He has held nothing back from me except you, because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. I don't get time today to explain it, but then she didn't like that. She didn't like to be told no. She, she had her own agenda, and she had lust flowing through her, and she tried to trap him into uh, caving and compromising. And a moment happened that she cornered him in his home, in her home one day by himself, and he said, I will not do this. It says he flee and took off and said, no, no, no. If I, some, sometimes you need to fight, and sometimes you need to flee. And this is one of those times where he started to flee, and he ran, and she grabbed his coat and ripped it off his, his shoulders, and he ran to his freedom and escaped. Verse 19, she then cried out and said, no, no, this is not how it went down. She was embarrassed. She goes, no, I'm going to frame him. He's rejected me and I'm embarrassed and now I'm going to get him. And She said that he raped her and he said that he had tried things and now all of a sudden Joseph, who was innocent and honoring and trying to do the right thing, finds himself accused, falsely accused. Verse 19, Potiphar was furious when he had heard his wife's story about how jo Joseph had treated her. So he took Joseph and threw him into a prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Some of you think you had a bad week. This guy's having a bad week. He's in a pit, then he's in slavery. He thinks he's getting out of it. Now he's put into a prison, falsely accused. But the Lord was with Joseph in the prison. Oh, that'll stop and preach right there. Listen, God's not just with you on Sunday morning. He's with you in your prison. He's with you in your pit. He's with you in your pain. God is with you. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It says, the Lord was with Joseph in prison and showed him his faithful love. And the Lord made Joseph a favorite with the prison warden. Isn't it amazing? No matter where Joseph went, the favor went with him. Chapter 40 talks about his time in prison. He rose in authority. All of a sudden, these other people would come in and started seeing Joseph as a leader. He had authority and favor in that place. Even in a place of captivity, he grew in favor. There's a story of these two men that worked for the king and they had dreams and Joseph interpreted them well and one of them got promoted back into the king's palace. He said, hey, don't forget about me. Listen, if you ever get out of here, don't forget about me. Remember who I am and how I can help. And like many people, we forget people quickly. I'm thankful God doesn't forget. But people have short memories. Maybe they forget what you did for them. Maybe they forgot how you helped them, the influence in your life. And when it's not convenient anymore, they move on. This happened to Joseph. Then we pick it up in verse 41. Now, Pharaoh, it's Years later, two years later, Pharaoh, who is the head of Egypt, he is the leader, he is the president, he is the prime minister, he is the one in charge, starts having these nightmares that are more than just bad donair nightmares. He knows there's more to them. He knows there's truth in them. He feels an urgency and there's a warning and he's puzzled. He calls all his experts, all his scholars, and no one can answer these nightmares. And all of a sudden, the one friend remembers, you know what, when I was in prison... There was a guy there that interpreted my dream and told me that I'd be back in this position serving you. He told me exactly what would happen. You need to get him. Pharaoh goes, we need to go find this young man. Verse 14 of chapter 41. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I've heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. Verse 16. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied. But God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. He goes on and he translates this dream. He talks about how there's going to be bad years. There's going to be great years of great overflow of produce and abundance. And the stock market's going to be high and things are going to be good. And then after seven years, it's going to go bad. It's going to go real bad. 
but you've got to take the first seven years and use it to prepare for the bad seven years. And he unpacks this for this leader of a nation and gives him the direction he needs. We pick it up in verse 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh removed his signet ring from his hand and placed it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in the finest linen clothing and hung a gold chain around his neck. It was like a Mr. T starter kit. Verse 4, some of you, if you don't know who Mr. T is, you are my generation. Okay, you're too young if you don't know who Mr. T is. Verse 43, and then he had Joseph ride in the chariot reserved for his second in command. And wherever Joseph went, the command was shouted, kneel down. Isn't that fascinating? Kneel down. The rest of the story goes. They had great seven years. They had abundance. They saved food. They saved provisions. Seven bad years. And when they should have starved because of famine, they were ready. And a nation was saved. Joseph's brothers and father then come to the city to get food because they were starving. And they were able to be reunited. And they had no idea who Joseph was. They didn't recognize him in his new position. And they bowed down, begging for their lives and for provision. And the dream that he had as a young man at 17, that his brothers and family would kneel down before him, came to pass after the prison... After the pit and in the palace, the dream came forth that everyone in the nation bowed down when they saw Joseph. I want to let you know there's power in a dream today. Today I want to take notes, write down this title, The Dreamer. Let's pray one more time. Father, I thank you for this morning. Father, I'm thankful that you have dreams for us as a church. Father, I'm thankful you have dreams for us as, as, as people. I believe, Father, there are dreams in here. Father, I pray today that you would speak to us to right where we are today. I pray we leave here, God, today encouraged about your plan, equipped to follow your will. Father, I pray if there's those here that are far from you, that today they would feel your presence. Today they'd feel peace for the first time. I pray joy would be in this place. Father, I pray there'd be hope that the best is yet to come. And Father, I pray right now, as you help me preach well, that you would help us hear well. And God, our goal today is clear, not to be entertained or even informed, but to be transformed by your presence in your word. And everybody said, you ever have a dream? My daughter has a dream, and that's to have a dog. That's not going to happen, people. I don't like animals. I don't know where, who you are, but I don't like animals. I'm an indoors person. Where are my indoor people at? Some of you are outdoor people. You hunt. You wear flannel, even outside. You, you hunt things. You go nature walking. Listen, I don't hike. I don't pay a car payment to go hiking. Come on, somebody. I'm an indoors guy, but my daughter, I don't like animals. Animals scare me. I'm scared of all animals. Crazy animals. There's wild things there. There's bears, lions, squirrels. There's a lot of things. I don't like that animals can smell fear. They say dogs and bees can smell fear. That, that bothers me because I can fake it with people, but I'm smiling when a dog comes in a room. I'm saying the right things. I got my hand down. I'm like, hi, puppy. But in my mind, I know that he knows that I know that he knows that I'm scared to death at that moment. And that freaks me out. I don't like animals. My daughter has this dream to get, get a dog, and she just loves, she, she has puppy screensavers. And we have a rabbit called Twitchy. His name is Twitchy, and, and I like the rabbit. He stays in the cage, and his poop's easy to clean up. It looks like M&M's. It's just it's simple life. And worse comes worse, we can eat them. Uh, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's, I'm a good Newfie boy. Nothing wrong with rabbits, you know? And my daughter has this dream. And I have a feeling owning a dog is a lot like jumping in a cold lake. Let me explain it. You ever have go, to the, go swimming in Nova Scotia in like the spring and you get a whole bunch of your buddies and someone jumps in the lake and they're like, you go first. And no, you go first. And someone jumps in and you know it's cold, but they're like, hey, how's the water? And they're like, it's fine. You're like, is it cold? Nope. Unusually warm. And you know it's cold. But the first person to jump in is not going to tell you it's cold. Why? Because if they tell you it's cold, you're not getting in. I have a feeling owning a dog's like that. Everyone's like, you need to get a dog. All our friends bought dogs in the last few months. 
Everybody has a dog. Every, the other night we're hanging out, there are three dogs walking around me. I'm in fear, sitting there. The little ones, the big ones, all of them. Don't lick me, don't lick me, don't touch me, come on. You know what I'm saying? And like, huge dog. Kids are riding the dogs, they're that big. And then there's small dogs, and they're like, you need to get a dog. And as we were pulling out of the driveway, one of our friends takes his brand new puppy. Is a Labrador Retriever? The thing is pretty cute. And he, he put it in the back seat of the car and goes, there you go, take it home. And my daughter's like, oh, look at that puppy. She, her dream is getting bigger. I'm in the front seat going, not going to happen. It will never happen. Because I have a feeling once you get a dog, then they're like, oh, sucker, I told you. You got to walk it all night. We went to the vet. Come on, the thing swallows a marble. You're a thousand bucks in the hole. Come on, somebody. And all the dog owners are like, yep, you're exactly right. My daughter has this dream to own a dog. Dreams are powerful. The Bible says in, in Proverbs 29, it says, where there's no vision, the people cast off restraint. I want to encourage you. I believe you need to get a dream for your life. I don't think we have a sin problem in our culture. So many times people are like, man, we got, man, young people are doing this, and people are doing that, and we got people making bad decisions. I don't think we have a sin problem. I think we have a vision problem. Because I've learned this. The Bible says that when you have a vision, when you have a dream, it actually restrains you. It constrains you. When you get a dream for your life, Sidney Crosby, I like following his career. No one told him, you have to go to the gym. You have to eat right. You can't get tied up in parties. Why? Someone showed him what he could be, and he had a dream for his life to be a hockey player, and that vision constrained and restrained him. He ate right. He went to the gym. Maybe you've seen the videos. He practiced in the basement of his house, shooting hockey pucks into an empty dryer. Why? Because a vision changes the way you eat, what you drink, how you sleep, where you live, who you hang with. A vision changes the way you live your life. Can I encourage you? Get a dream for your life. We have some dreams as a church. A dream will change the way you talk, the way you give, the way you live your life. There's something about a dream in your life. We have a dream for this church. You need to get a dream for your family and for your lives. God's plan for your life, it'll change the way you think and act. There are some good dreams to have in this place. Here are some good dreams I wrote down as we we're talking about being a dreamer today. Having a healthy marriage is a good dream. I'm not saying a perfect marriage because people aren't perfect. So when you come together, it can't be perfect, but full of perfect moments. But having a healthy marriage, if there's, that's why as a church, we want everybody. But we're helping, trying to help marriages and young families. Why? It's the backbone of our culture. It's the backbone of our society. It's a great dream to say, hey, I want to have a healthy marriage. Be faithful in my marriage. What's another great dream to have? To have a job and a life full of purpose. People always say, I'm just living in the rat race. And my idea of torture is enduring a job, living for retirement, living, to, living for the age 65, living for the weekend, living for a vacation. Listen, life is not to be endured, but to be enjoyed. And so much of our culture use their Friday nights to get wasted so they, they forget about their life. I don't want to escape my life. I want to enjoy my life. I think it's a healthy dream to actually have, uh, I say, I want a life every day filled with purpose. Not easy, not always fun, but filled with purpose. That's a dream I have. What's another dream we have is that crime rates would drop in our city because of this church. I think that's a great dream. I believe we can have a dream that because of people coming in and encountering not us, but a God that loves them, I believe crime rates can drop in this area in our city because people have an encounter with a living God that loves them. And when they find out that he loves them, it changes the way they think, the way they act. That's a dream I have as a pastor of this church. People are like, you're crazy. You're a dreamer. I'm a dreamer. Because I know what God did to my life and some of your life, and it changed the way you think. Some of you shouldn't be in this church. Your life's been a mess. You shouldn't be here. If I knew everything you did, I wouldn't want you here. If you knew everything I did, you wouldn't want me speaking. What a great relationship we have. Can I encourage you? When you, God gets a hold of your life, it changes you. It's a dream I have for this church. What's another dream? To raise healthy children, passionate about the plan of God. 
People always say, man, teenagers always rebel. They don't have to. Teenagers always have to sow their wild oats. They don't have to. No, no. I believe you don't just you don't display your kids. You launch your kids. The, the Bible calls them arrows. I don't pray for my kids to be safe anymore. I pray for God to make them dangerous. The Bible calls them arrows that we launch at purpose. When I pray for my kids at night, I say, God, make them dangerous against injustice, against racism, against poverty. Can make them dangerous where people that are suffering go in and help somebody. Come on. I want to encourage you. I have a dream that we can raise healthy kids that love God, love his church, and love people. That's a good dream to have. People say, you're crazy. Pastor's kids don't make it. Mine will. Am I, am I confident in my ability? No, but I know how good my God is. If we give our kids, my kids are passionate about the church. Why? One reason why we make it fun. Hoverboards and mascots and trampoline parks. Listen, that event that we're advertising on Halloween, it'll have its ups and downs. <laughs> I know, how do I bounce back from that? Okay, hang on. Just make sure you're with me this morning. Can I tell you another dream we have as a church is to be an influencing church. So many people in churches are waiting for a move of God. I believe God's waiting for a move of man. I believe we'll have the kind of church that people of influence. We believe that it's not what happens so much here, but when we leave here, we're launched into your areas of influence. We believe we'll have business owners full of God's plan and his presence being influenced in their world. We believe politicians will come out of here or come into here, and this will be their home. And instead of complaining against government, someone will step in and go, I'm going to help change it. So many people have, a, have, have, a, have, a, have an attitude or have an opinion, but few people actually want to step in and go, I'm going to help change policy. I believe we'll have people that say, listen, I'm not complaining about our government. I'm going to step in and help and be a part of the solution. We have a dream. We believe in media and television and books and in radio and music that we'll have people come out of here to help change culture and steer it to reflect the plan of God and to love people instead of criticizing in the days of picketing and complaining on Facebook. Instead, we'll step in and go, no, no, there's a problem and we're a part of the solution and be a church of influence that won't be known so much in a sanctuary, but we know in every coffee shop, every business, every media place, every bookstore, I believe we have an influence and I believe we have a dream for that today. Joseph had dreams of greatness and leadership. Today, I want to pull out a few truths this morning. Very quickly, I believe can help us. There's three stages in Joseph's life. Number one was the pit. Joseph had this dream. He told his brothers, and he jumped into this pit. He said he shared his dreams, and he was thrown into a pit and then sold into slavery. Here's my thought. Never trust your dream with half-brothers. It says he shared his dream with his half-brothers, and they hated him. Can I encourage you today? If you have a dream in your life for your marriage, maybe for your kids, for your business, for your life, never share your dream with half-brothers. Not everyone in your circle is in your corner. Not every friend on Facebook is a friend in real life. Come on, somebody. Can I encourage you? Sometimes there are people in your life, but they're not for you. They're just around you. And there's a world of difference in that statement. Community matters. That's why we have this church on Sunday mornings. Because we believe community matters. People say, I can serve God by myself in my house. I have a podcast. I have a worship, music. Listen, no, no. The Bible says, do not forsake gathering together. Why? Because who you're with matters. An atmosphere determines altitude. I believe God has a dream for you to go higher and higher, but it matters who you surround yourself with. Whenever God starts something big, he always starts with community. Always. Jesus came on the scene, his first act. His mother, if you read the scripture, his mother made him turn water into wine because even a mother can outrank God sometimes. Mom said, okay. He's like, hey. Mary's like, hey, turn this water into wine. He goes, woman, it's not my time. She said, do it. That's where Nike got it from. Mary, do it. Jesus did it, and then when it was his chance to start his ministry, what did he do? He went and found 12 guys and said, come follow me. 
Why? Because he knew to do something of greatness. He needed not just to preach to the crowd. He needed people around him. Why? Because community matters. If the Son of God needed a community, needed a tribe, needed a people, needed a small group, needed a church, how much more do you do? Who you surround yourself matters. Friends are like an elevator, someone told me. They take you up or they take you down. And some of you want to know who people are your friends? Get a promotion. Do they celebrate you? Have something go good in your life. Do they want to celebrate? Friends don't compete with friends. Can I encourage you? Sometimes we share our dreams with everyone. You wonder why people are hating on you, drinking haterade all the time. People trying to bring you down, trying to scheme and work angles. And oh, you're gonna go for that, you're gonna go for that new job, and they try to get ahead of you at work and get that job. Listen, can I encourage you? Who you surround yourself with matters. That's what we're building here: a community, not a church, not a service, a community. Because we believe that who you surround yourself with determines and helps you with your dream. The Holy Spirit of God is called the comforter for a reason. Here's what I thought of this today. The path to the palace often goes through the pit. I'm going to say that again. The path to the palace often goes through the pit. Joseph, as a 17-year-old, had a dream of greatness and leadership, and he thought this was going to be easy, but his path to greatness and the palace had to go first through the pit. Here's what sometimes I want to let you know. Sometimes life is not fair. If you're under under 30, maybe you haven't realized yet, but the older I get, sometimes bad things happen to good people. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. And sometimes it's not sin or choices. Sometimes life is just not fair. I believe that's why the Holy Spirit is called the comforter, because this walk is uncomfortable sometimes. You don't need a comforter if life is easy. And sometimes, I want to let you know today, some of you are going through some things and life isn't easy and this business isn't working and there's tension in my relationship and I don't understand. I've been trying. Sometimes you just got to go through the pit. And I've learned I can't understand it, but I do know this, that God is with me in the pit. But life is not always easy, but he promised to comfort us. Number two, season of Joseph's life. First it was the pit, but then he goes from the pit to the prison. Now, this, this, when I read this as a young man, it bothered me because I was always taught if you do the right thing, you'll get the right outcome. Joseph did the right thing, and he still ended up in prison, falsely accused. He was honoring to his, his boss. He was honoring to his God. He was honoring to his culture and still found himself locked up in a prison. Having rose to influence, or even as a slave, he was wrongfully accused and imprisoned. But it's amazing. Even in the prison, he rose again to influence and authority. The Bible says, guard your heart above all things. Here's a thought I have for you. You can go through difficult times without becoming a difficult person. Did you hear that today? You can go through difficult times without becoming a difficult person. You know what's sad as I travel and I be around, you know, being around, you know what's rare? To find someone over 60 who still has a lightness in their spirit. Something happens as we get older, we start trusting less, loving less, keeping people's arm length. Why? Because I ran into someone just like you in my 30s and they took all my money. I knew someone like you, but you betrayed me. And we get closed in. Can I encourage you? You can go through difficult times without becoming a difficult person person. You can be in prison without the prison being in you. Joseph was in a prison, falsely accused. A little while ago, he was a dreamer with favor with his father, and now he's in a prison. No one knows where he is. And he was in prison, but if you read the scripture, prison wasn't in him. He had a lightness to his spirit and favor on his life. I think what's remarkable when you find people, that should be a statistic, but they're a story. My wife is one of these people. My wife is, is beautiful, and she's She's, she loves Jesus more than me. She's a harder worker than me. She's a better parent than I am. I, I, I say things like I married up. People think it's a joke. I married up. 
I am better because of who I join myself to. Why? Because community matters. But my wife, people think she grew up in church because she's so sweet. But my wife's been through some stuff, two difficult times, even some prison of things that tried to lock her in in, in her family. She grew up, and she'll, you'll hear her story one of these days of her father walking out when she was 12, had an affair, and left her family. Her mother quickly became an alcoholic, and at 12, my wife remembers stealing money from her mother's purse to buy milk for her newborn baby brother at 12. At 15, 16, she'd go to high school parties, and she'd walk into the kitchen of a good kitchen party in Newfoundland, and her mother would already be there drinking in the kitchen with all her high school friends. This is a life my wife grew up with. At one point, she couldn't take it anymore, and she was living on her own, and her younger brother, who's now a teenager, used to run away from home from his mom's to Nancy's and say, don't tell her where I am. I need to come and live with you. There's no food. There's no stability. She's angry. She's drunk. And the cops would take him and drag him back home because she was the rightful, had rightful custody. Nancy tells the story of her brother, Anthony, holding the door frame, his fingers white, trying to hang on. As the police had to take him back, it was the law, and screaming, don't make me go back there. Don't make me. When I met my wife at 23, she had custody of her siblings, living alone in a basement apartment, working for an airline, and she had custody of her siblings. She fought for in court. She fought over and over, and she would lose. And then one day she went in and fought, and she won custody of her brother. When I met her, she had a 16-year-old brother living with her, six foot two, 250 pounds. He ate everything in the house. Nancy couldn't buy new clothes. She bought secondhand clothes. Why? She was, she was going to parent-teacher meetings. When I met her, she was a parent. Why? But you know what's amazing? When you meet Nancy, you don't get a victim mentality. You don't see a difficult person. When she focuses on you, it's like sunshine. Five foot two, but sunshine. Her eyes radiate. It's like no one else in the room when she locks eyes. And I've realized you can go through difficult times and not be a difficult person. You can be in a prison, but the dream, come on, doesn't let the prison get inside you. Some of you are going through some difficult times today. You feel like you're locked into some things. Can I encourage you? A dream keeps your spirit fresh, keeps your vision forward. You can go through some difficult times and you go, listen, I can keep going. I honestly don't believe you can be a pessimist and a Christian. People are like, well, you're just young. You're full of hope. you got a new church. you got visions of things. You'll learn. No, no, no. I don't think you can be a pessimist and a Christian. Because the Bible says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And if I believe that verse, that he is the author and the finisher of my faith, that God that is with me is the God that made me and saved me and called me. And if he is with me, how can I not have hope? Can I encourage you to say, you might find yourself in a prison of regret, a prison of finances. Hang on to the dream that if God is for you, he'll be with you. And the God that's with you can take you from the pit to the prison. He'll get you to the palace. Or you can be in prison, but the prison doesn't need to be in you. Abraham Lincoln. I read this the other day. He realized that failure wasn't fatal and that the prison wasn't always final. In 1816, his family was forced to move out of a home and that he had to work to support them. In 1818, his mother died. In 1831, he had a failed business. In 1832, he ran for state legislator. legislator. I won't be the politician that comes out of this church. He ran for government and lost. In 32, he also lost his job. He wanted to go to law school, but he couldn't get in. Sounds like a real winner. In 33, he borrowed some money from a friend and began a business. By the end of the year, he was bankrupt, and he spent the next 17 years of his life paying off that debt to his friend. In 1834, he ran for the state government again. This time he won. The next year, he was engaged to be married to his sweetheart, but she died, and his heart was broken. In 1836, he had a total nervous breakdown and was in bed for six months. 
In 38, he sought to become Speaker of the State, and he was defeated. In 1840, he sought to become an elector. He was defeated. In 43, he ran for Congress. He lost. In 46, he ran for Congress again. This time he won. He went to Washington, did a good job. In 48, he went for re-election, and he lost. In 49, he sought a job as a land officer in his home state. He was rejected. In 54, he ran for Senate of the United States, and he lost. In 56, he sought to be Vice President nomination for his party's national convention. He got less than 100 votes. 1858, he ran for the U.S. Senate again, and this time, he lost. And in 1860, he was elected President of the United States. Can I encourage you? A dream is bigger than your circumstance. I don't get time to tell you today the dream that this is today. I'm backstage looking out. I don't know a lot of your faces, and we're going to get to know you. But this is a dream, in the, not just for me, but for a Christian in, a cold, in Edmonton in a cold January restaurant going, we, we see the dream, and we have the same dream. A dream is beyond a circumstance. Following a dream won't always make sense. Here's what I, I thought I said. A why in your heart can overcome any how in your head. Sometimes you said, how are we going to pay for it? How are we going to figure this out? How am I going to get this worked out? Listen, a why in your heart can overcome any how in your head. Get a dream in your heart today. How do you get a dream? You read God's word. You get around God's people. Let God speak to you about your life. Following a dream won't always make sense. The Bible says that this word is a light to my path. It's not a floodlight. It doesn't light up the whole journey. It lights up a step at a time. And can I encourage you? I don't understand where this is going, but I see the next step. Next step. Someone should call a course that at a church maybe. Next steps. Can I encourage you today? It doesn't always make sense. But I refuse to live in a prison of bitterness and negativity. You might find yourself in a prison today, but don't let the prison into your spirit. Hold on to your dream today. The third thing Joseph found himself, first it was a pit. Then there was a season of his life he was in a prison, and then he found himself in the palace. His friend remembered who he was. God promoted him, and he finds himself with, the, with Pharaoh. It was said he was called to interpret Pharaoh's dream. He helped save a nation from starvation, become second in command. His brothers and his family and everyone in the nation bows to his leadership and his fulfillment of a dream. Here's a thought I have today to help you today. If your gift will work in a prison, it'll work on a platform. The first time Joseph interpreted a dream wasn't in Pharaoh's court, it was in Pharaoh's prison. If your gift will work in a prison, you'll have no problem with the platform. I spent nine years working in a grocery business called Pete's Fertique in Bedford. Totally do. I spent nine years. God gave me a dream for my life when I was 19. I had this dream. I was living in Plymouth, England, and I had this dream about ministry and what I felt God was calling me to do. And, and I thought it was going to happen overnight. Okay, maybe in my early 20s, I'm going to see this happen. And for nine years, I worked in this job. And many times, it was like a prison. They treated me great, but it wasn't what I saw. I felt, I felt constrained. I felt restricted. I felt like I was nothing more than my position I was in. I got married at 25 working in this job. And I remember I'd start writing notes and sermons that no one ever heard on mushroom bags. We had these bag, paper bags for mushrooms. And I'd write these notes on mushroom bags and tuck it in my apron. I'd come home from work and put it on our counter. And my wife, Nancy, tried to throw them in the garbage one day. I'm like, where are those bags at? She goes, what, the garbage? I put it in the garbage. I'm like, no, that wasn't mushroom bags. That was sermons. I preached sermons before I ever had a platform. I started thinking about ministry and leadership and influence before I ever had a chance. Can I encourage you? If you work your dream in your prison, you have no problem with the palace. So many people are waiting for an opportunity and God's going, no, no, I've given you a chance where you are. There's something about working it where you're at. Promotion happens when you interpret another man's dream, not proclaim your own. 
Isn't it amazing? Joseph, when he proclaimed his own dream, it got him thrown into a pit in a prison. But when he interpreted another man's dream, it ended up in a palace. There is a truth here I've learned in my life, that when you spend your life interpreting another man's dream, promotion comes on you than proclaiming your own. So many times I meet young people, I'm going to be this, I'm going to do that. I'm like, okay. But then you come across somebody and go, hey, what can I do to help you? I look at Christian and Nicole, and they said, hey, you got a dream? We want to make it happen. We want to come and help you with the worship. I'm like, thank you, God. You know what amazes me? Even in the last three months, I've started to see dreams in their life starting to get promoted and happen. Nicole is a dynamic communicator. She's starting to book speaking engagements all across the country. What's happening? Why? Because they're making another person's dream happen, God will promote their own. Serving is the vehicle that God uses for promotion. Serving is the vehicle promotion travels in. Your promotion is tied to your ability to solve problems. So many people are waiting for a cell phone plan and a salary and a car allowance before they step out and serve. Can I encourage you? Serving is the way to promotion. Jesus came. He said, I came not to, but to serve and to save the lost. I only came to do what my father said. Jesus Christ came to promote his father's vision, not his own. His father's dream, not his own. He said, I only do what I see the father doing. I only say what the father's saying. If the son of God came to make God's dream happen, how much more do we as the church can I encourage you? Find someone to serve. Authority is not a curse word. Authority is God-designed. I can honestly tell you, I am where I am today, and I'm still serving. I'm looking for places to serve, but I am here today because I made dreams happen for others, and now God's saying, let's, okay, let's, let's make some dreams happen around here. I am not good enough to have this team. I'm not smart enough. As you know, I'm not funny enough to have this team, to have 100 people on our team, 120 people on our team. But you know, I've realized that greatness and favor comes not from proclaiming your own dream, but serving another person's. Can I encourage you to whatever season you're in, serve. Serve. Serving is the vehicle promotion travels in. It's amazing in verse 16 of chapter 41, we see a change in the young dreamer that we saw before the pit. After the pit and the prison, now in the palace, we see this. It says, Pharaoh goes, can you interpret my dream? I'm told you can. He goes, no, no, it's beyond my power. Only God can. The process humbles us like nothing else. I've never been more humble than I am at this age, and I'm proud of it. Why? Because life has a way of humbling you in this process. I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm talented enough. But I do know this, that God has a plan. And our success comes from God. People say, hey, I hear what's going on with the church, what's going on with this. I'm like, yeah, thank God. Why? Because God, listen, when you understand that everything comes from God, everything is for God, it changes your attitude. As I get ready to close today, I love our Nova coffee, our Nova Church coffee. It's good coffee. In a school like this, I'm reminded when I was in school in grade four, we always had the same project. Maybe you had it. You ever have that project we had to grow a bean from nothing? Anybody else have that? I realize now it's because we had no budget as a school board, but that was the big project we were excited about. I never forget, we walk in one day and they gave everyone a styrofoam cup. I was like, oh, this is fun. And they get some high-quality dirt and put it in there, some... And then you get a bean. I don't know if it was a bean or some kind of seed they put in there, a sunflower or, 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 or a bean or something. You put it in. And remember, they put a little bit of water, and they just go, put it on the window so decorate your cup. That was the best part, wasn't it, decorating the cup? The markers. Oh, I love markers on Friday. I don't remember much of those classes. I sniffed, I sniffed too many of the markers, but that was a good time. I remember being at Sackville Centennial School in Lower Sackville, and I put my cup on the window. And I put my cup on the window, and I was like, Exciting. The next day I came in, and every boy in the place ran over and looked, nothing. 
The next day he came in, we came over, we ran in and looked, nothing. Now we, the boys started digging up the seed to make sure it was still there and growing. Girls, because girls follow instructions mostly. Like, no, we leave it. We water it, we rotate it in the sun, and just leave it. The boys are digging it up, pulling it out. Nope, nothing. Put it back in. Pull it out, put it back. Am I the only, come on, somebody. Don't look at me like that tone of voice. After the fourth day, we just gave up on it. Forget it. We didn't water it anymore. We didn't try anything anymore. We just left it. After about 10 days, two weeks, one girl would go to the window early in the morning. She'd run over to the window and she'd scream. I see something. I see something. She'd look in that we'd all run over in her cup because she was faithful and others. And they'd watered a little bit and they'd rotated and they didn't disturb it and they just left it, let it grow. And all of a sudden, this little bit of green came up and what did the guys do? Dug theirs up. Nothing. You know, what I've realized in life is that burying and planting look very similar. When you plant something, it goes to a dark place. It goes to a dirty place. It goes to an isolated place. It goes where you can't see what's happening. It's a lot like burying something. It's dark, it's dirty, and it's isolated. But the difference between burying and planting is in the expectation. So many people hit a pit in their life or a prison, and they think, that's it, I'm buried, I'm done. And they let the prison get into them. They get in the pits, and then they feel like they're in the pits. And all of a sudden, the dream dies. But if you have a hope to know that the God that called you is the God that wants to use you, something happens to a dreamer. It's dark, it's lonely, but you just hold on. It's amazing that the enemy, the devil, when he killed Jesus, he thought he buried the Son of God. He said, that's it, he's dead, he's done. He's underground, he's dead. He thought he buried Jesus, but the Father knew he planted a Savior. They both went, both had the same experience. They saw a man go down, covered in dirt, but the difference was the expectation. Some of you feel like you're buried today. You're like, I was a young man, I had a dream for a book. I had a dream to start a business. I had a dream to be on TV. I had a dream to sing songs. I had a dream to have a healthy family and a marriage. And all of a sudden that dream, you feel like it's buried. But could it be that the same God that gave you the dream, the same God that resurrects and makes all things new today, that dream that you thought was dead and buried, oh, she's coming up. And life is coming today. Can I encourage you to get through the process of the pit to the prison to the palace? If you hang on to God's promises, he'll get you through the process to the palace. What's the palace in your life? It's the dream God has for you. I have a dream for my family to serve God, for us not to lose our kids in the middle of church planning, but for my kids to go to another level. That's a dream I have. And no matter what our setbacks are, we hang on because some people will say you're planted. My life, many people thought I was dead and buried in a lot of ways, but God said, no, no, it's a dark place. It's a lonely place, but you're coming up. It might be your marriage today. It might be your kids. It might be your business going, man, I thought I would. Oh, the end of a chapter is not the completion of a destiny. Dreamers, I'm calling dreamers this morning. We hang on to your dream. We need your dream. Your dream will free people. Some of you, it's to start a business that will help economics in this city. Some of you, it's to write a book that will help people free from the problem. Some of you, it's to write a song. Some of you, it's to start a church, to preach a sermon. I don't know what your dream is for you, but God has a dream in your heart. Now listen, it's time to dream again. I have dreams again. Dreams bigger than a building. I have dreams. Why? Because I know that I can get through the pit and I can get through the prison because God will take me through the process because the dream is bigger than the circumstance if we have hope today.
all over this place, if you just close your eyes for a moment. You say, Mike, I got some dreams in my life that I feel like I've given up on. I don't know if you feel like you're in a pit today where you feel like you're just down in the dumps and you've given up. Maybe some of you feel like you're in a prison. It's not even fair. Someone stole money from you. Someone harmed you. Someone wrongfully did something wrong to you. And you're fighting. It's one thing to be in a prison, but you feel like now the prison's inside you. If you feel like your dream is under attack and you're struggling today with every head bowed, you say, I love God, but I need to believe in my dream again. Can you just real quick, all those places, raise your hand real high. I'm just gonna pray for you right where you are. I see those hands. I see that hand. I see those hands. I see that hand. Put your hand right back down. We're gonna pray today. Because I believe the influence that will come from this room will shape a city. In a city that will shape a country. In a country that was meant to shape the world. And it starts with a dream. I'm calling dreamers today. It's time to dream again for businesses, for books, for songs, for churches, for families, for relationships. Dream again. God's into dreamers. Father, right now I pray for the dreamers in this room. I pray for them, Lord. Father, right now I pray for hope again. Father, I pray that even though they're in the middle of the pit, that, Father, you would comfort them, that you're bigger than their circumstance. I pray for comfort right now, that, Father, in the middle of that dryness and that barrenness, that there would be a hope to hang on. Father, I pray for those in a prison today that feel like they're wrongfully in the place they're in, that someone jumped over them for promotion. Someone has favorites and didn't give them what they deserve. Maybe someone robbed them, abused them wrong them somewhere. Today, Father, I pray for the dreamers in prison today. And I pray, Father, would you promote? God, would you help us today have an attitude of joy in all things? God, I speak that we would work on our talents and our dreams in a prison and we'll be ready for the palace moments. Father, I speak to the dreamers in this place to have hope and faith again. In the name of Jesus Christ, one more person I want to pray for before we close today. If you're like Mike, I came here today and I don't really know God. I've been in church a few times or Maybe it's your first time. You're like, I don't know God, but I want to know the God that made me. The Bible says you can leave here knowing and starting a relationship with Jesus Christ. By simply praying and believing, you can start a relationship where God, the one that made you, is the God that can direct your life. The Bible says, calls him Lord, which means he helps us. He directs us. He's with us. He sticks closer than any friend or brother or spouse. He's the God that never leaves you. Today, I want to pray for you. Say, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to start my faith journey. It's not, start, it's not joining this church. It's not, this is a great church to join and church is a priority, but it's bigger than that. It's about starting a relationship with a God that made you and loves you. I wanna pray for you today. Here's what's gonna happen. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed. You're gonna put your hand up and put it right back down. That's the only thing we're gonna do and then we're gonna pray together. If you say, Mike, I wanna start that relationship. I don't know Jesus. I don't know God. I want him to forgive me for my mistakes and I want him to lead me in my life. I want to live his dreams for my life. If that's you all over this place with every eye closed, can you shoot your hand up as quick as you can? Just all over this place. Just raise your hand real quick. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. Someone else, you can put it right back down. All over this place. If that's you, I'll give you one more moment. It's the greatest decision you ever make is to trust God, an unknown future with a very known God. One more chance. Look, one more time. If you didn't put your hand up, you can slide up real quick right now. Thank you very much. Let's pray together. Can we stand all over this place? In a moment, we're going to sing that song, Courage, which speaks to dreams. Before we go, grab your kids and grab some coffee and enjoy your Sunday. But today, dreams are awakening. And today, some of you are going to meet God in relation for the first time. Let's pray. Can we pray together? Let's bow our head. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the people in this room. I thank you for those who lifted their hands saying, I want to know God. I want to start this relationship. 
In the name of Jesus Christ, Father, we just say, God, forgive us for our sin, our choices, our mistakes. Forgive us for doing it on our own, trying to get through the pit, get through the prison, get through this on our own. Today, by putting up our hand, we surrender and say, listen, it's your way. You lead us. You direct us. Lord Jesus, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my past. I trust you with my present. And I give you my future. Father, I pray you'd walk in right now and make yourself real to those lifted their hand. In the name of Jesus Christ. Can someone say amen?